Hello, everyone. Welcome to our listeners in the Big Apple from across the U.S. and around the world. I'm Jeff Goodman, and this is Rediscovering New York. I'm a real estate broker with Halstead Real Estate, and I love New York. The program is a show about the history, texture, and current vibe of our amazing city. On most programs, like tonight, we focus on an individual New York neighborhood, exploring its history and its current energy. What makes that particular New York neighborhood special? And we do it through interviews with historians, local business owners, nonprofit organizations, preservationists, musicians, artists, and sometimes other interesting neighborhood personalities. And I, we have a number of them here tonight. Sometimes we host a show about an interesting and vital color of the city that's not focused on one particular neighborhood. In the past, you might have heard programs about, and these are also podcasted, on a history of U.S. presidents who came or lived in New York. We once talked about the history of the women's suffrage movement in New York, and Brooklyn in particular. We've covered the history of Irish immigrants who came to New York. We had some special episodes during Stonewall 50 about the city's LGBT history. We've explored the history of bicycles and cycling. They've been in New York for 200 years, believe it or not. And we've had shows on the history of punk and opera in New York. They were separate shows, by the way. I don't commingle those uh, musical genres. Uh, in the future, we may journey to some of the city's parks or the subway or the city in the age of a particular social or political movement. After the broadcast, each show is available on podcast on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and apparently some other services, all of which I don't even know about, but they're there. Tonight, we are taking a trip to a special neighborhood in Brooklyn, to Gowanus, which for a time, at least in my lifetime, uh, at the beginning of my lifetime, was synonymous with crud and pollution and things not so good, but which has become transformed into a very different kind of New York neighborhood. My first guest is Brad Vogel. Brad is an attorney, he's a poet, and he's a historic preservationist who lives in Gowanus. He's a co-founder of the Gowanus Landmarking Coalition. Brad also helps lead the ongoing campaign to landmark Walt Whitman's only remaining New York City home. He serves as captain of the Gowanus Dredgers Canoe Club, Gowanus Dredgers Canoe Club, and as a representative on the Gowanus Superfund Community Advisory Group. Brad's a graduate of the University of Wisconsin School of Journalism and also graduated Tulane University's law school. For a while, he was a New Orleanian, which is uh, sort of dear to my heart. Uh, Brad heads a nonprofit preservation organization and previously worked with the National Trust for Historic Preservation in post-Katrina New Orleans. He published a full-length collection of poetry called Broad Meadow Bird in 2015, and he will be participating, he'll be a participating artist in this year's Gowanus Open Studios, October 19th and 20th, to which we will talk about. Brad, a hearty welcome to Rediscovering New York. Thank you so much, Jeff. It's great to be here. And I'm really excited to be talking about Gowanus. Well, we are too. I've wanted to do a show on Gowanus for a while, and I'm so glad that we were connected by uh, another guest on Rediscovering New York, Greg Trupiano, who was actually on the show last week to talk about opera. You're a veritable renaissance man, Brad, or I want to say uh, uh, a, Gowan a Gowanus renaissance man. Yeah, it's well, I'll, I'll accept that only because the Gowanus has been going through a bit of a renaissance, you might say, these uh, past several years. And you've done so many things, um, and you do so many things. Are you from New York originally? I'm not. I'm originally from Wisconsin, and I made my way down to New Orleans, uh, was there for several years after Katrina. Um, and ended up working for the National Trust for Historic Preservation while I was in that city. And that's really where I sort of cut my teeth as a preservationist. Um, but you might say that I think some of the vibe that I came to love about New Orleans is part of what made me love Gowanus. And so I feel like some of those New Orleanian qualities have sort of tractor beamed me into the neighborhood. Well, that's really good to hear. I, I'm asked, what's my favorite city in the country? This is number one, and my second favorite city is New Orleans. Um, <laughs> so what brought you to New York? When did you get here? And so I came for work, ostensibly, in 2011. Um, I had spent a summer here in, you know, earlier, um, I think 2009. But 2011, I came up here to work at a law firm, uh, but I really, I think if you actually dissect the decision to come to New York, I wanted to make sure I was moving to a place that had enough to keep me interested and a place that had a sense of adventure. And I will say that since 2011, that has held true here in New York. <laughs> I lived in Manhattan for about five years and I've lived in Gowanus for several years. 
and I no longer work as a corporate finance attorney. Um, so it was almost as if a, a t- <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> I see that look. Um, it was an interesting transition, um, but I do feel like I'm now back working in an arena that just makes sense to me. I, I'm inherently interested in history and preservation, and it's great to work on that day by day. And it's great to do what you love. Most Absolutely. of the time. Most of the time. <laughs> um, what brought you to Gowanus after you got to New York? What was it about the neighborhood that said, this is it, I got yeah. it, this is me, you're right. Well, the, the first memory I have of Gowanus was a friend's, a friend of a friend's birthday party at Lavender Lake. And this was in probably probably about 2011. And I remembered showing up on sort of the Belgian block streets in the dark. And you could see the Carroll Street Bridge off in the darkness. And I looked around and I thought, where in the world am I? What is this place? This just feels so inherently different than the rest of New York and even the rest of Brooklyn that I knew at that point. It really is otherworldly. It's a diff- it's it's a different feeling completely, especially at night. Absolutely. And if you suddenly find yourself walking out onto one of the many bridges over the canal, suddenly you're hit with this vista that you're not necessarily expecting to see if you weren't planning to go over the canal. Um, and Unlike some of the other waterways in New York, the Gowanus is really wound up into the land, into the neighborhood to a much greater extent than some of the other waterways. So it's a very intimate body of water. And, you know, that, that might not be the first word that many people think of when they think of a toxic Superfund site, um, which is also something you could describe the canal with. Well, one of the reasons it's, it's like that, not the toxic Superfund site, but the actual uh, geography was, was the topography of the place before right. the canal was even developed. Um, what was the original topography of the area like before people, before Europeans came to settle it? Right. So back in the 1620s, 1630s, when the Dutch were first arriving, Native Americans, indigenous people did live in the area. There's extensive records of that in both in the archaeological sense and in the written record. Um, And even the name Gowanus is derived, what most people think it's derived, from the name of an indigenous chief or sachem, uh, the Lenape or Canarse people who lived in the area. There was a chief who lived up actually on the hills, the heights, really in what today would be sort of Greenwood Heights, near the mouth of the Gowanus where it enters the harbor. And that name transferred to the whole valley that is now the Gowanus, what we know as the neighborhood. Uh, the other the other possibility that's out there, and uh, my good friend Joseph Alex Yu, who's a historian of Gowanus, uh, in his book, Gowanus, Brooklyn's Curious Canal, he sort of dives into all the different possibilities that are out there linguistically. Uh, the other possibility that's thrown around is that this was all just a corruption of the Dutch word for bay. Ah. <laughs> it's it's not nearly as interesting as uh, Gowanus, which translates loosely to the sleeper, which is much more enigmatic and, quite frankly, much more Goanusian, if I will. Goanus, <laughs> that's, that's also another <laughs> great word. Um, Gowanus has some of the oldest history of settlement in what became New York City. Mm-hmm. Um, wasn't it one of the earliest places that, that Dutch people settled after after the the tip of the island, after New Amsterdam got, got founded? Definitely. So there are, you know, there are patents going way back into the 1630s and 40s and there are dutch dutch landowners who are building tide mills actually very early on which were you know many people think of mills as mills uh that need a stream to run them uh these were tide mills so they relied on the tide coming in and going out to actually power mills and and they dammed them too correct correct so there was originally gowanus creek that was a series of sort of long, flowy, tidal marshes, salt marshes that flowed into the bay. And that's what ultimately became the Gowanus Canal. So we'll get to that in greater depth later. But at this time in the 1600s, the 1700s, you basically have a number of families who are growing all kinds of things. Peaches, watermelons. Uh, They are farming oysters, actually, in some of these mill ponds behind their tide mills. And there are accounts of oysters being as big as dinner plates and being roasted and 
pails over the fire and tasting delicious, even getting exported once they were pickled. So I'm getting hungry just hearing that, which yes, is yes. Of the size of dinner plates. Wow. <laughs> Again, we have to go back to the 1600s, 1700s for this to make sense in the context of Gowanus. <laughs> and I was also surprised to learn that there was that tobacco was grown on one of these plantations yes. earlier. Wow. So that, that's another thing that people don't necessarily know about Brooklyn or about Gowanus in particular is that there were slaves um, involved in some of these farms and in even building some of the tide mills. Um, and that persisted in Brooklyn and within the Dutch community for a bit longer than it did elsewhere in New York. You know, and, uh, uh, enslaved Africans were brought here pretty early on. Um, right. Uh, let's fast forward a little bit uh, to the, the time of the revolution. Um, a lot of people don't know that uh, New York City saw the most troops in action during the American Revolution, and also the largest battle of the war was fought in Brooklyn. Mm -hmm. uh, a significant part of the battle and its aftermath took place in what would become Gowanus. What, what happened here, and, and what were some of the more notable events? Right, so the Battle of Long Island, or as we in Brooklyn often like to call it, the Battle of Brooklyn, <laughs> took place in August of 1776. And the thing that really happened here, if you have to remember that this was 1776, only you know months after the Declaration of Independence has been signed up. So we are a very new nation. And the British send in an overwhelming force, and they are marching across Brooklyn. And ultimately, it takes the sacrifice of this brigade of Maryland soldiers, primarily. For, they're called the Maryland 400. And that group of soldiers sort of engages in this suicide mission to attack again and again this old stone house in right in Gowanus in an effort to keep the British pinned down um, such that another segment of the American force can retreat across the marshes and the tide, tide mills of Gowanus over to the high grounds and what is today Carroll Gardens and Cobble Hill so they can join George Washington up on the heights. That allows Washington and the troops to escape under cover of fog later. And basically, the American project persists because of that moment. If, if the British had dealt a death blow to Washington's troops at that point, who knows what might have happened. Well, for anyone who's going to make fun of Brooklyn, don't uh, be so fast. <laughs> we actually played a very important role in the, uh, in the revolution. In fact, there's a, uh, uh, there's a very moving monument to the Maryland uh, 400 in Prospect Park. It, right. It really, you know... You Overlooked, but very important. Yes, right? yes. It's up on mm -hmm. the hill there. I think mm -hmm. the highest point in, in that part of the neighborhood. Um, when did the area start to see some of its commercial development? Right. So the 1840s, really, you begin to see development beyond the tide mills. And then in the 1860s, there's this true push after the Civil War to complete what became a series of canals built across this lowland rather than the tidal marshes. And so there's a gentleman named Litchfield who really is sort of the mastermind of this whole effort. And there's still the Litchfield Villa up in Prospect Park that you can see, which was his residence dating back to the 1850s. But he's the one who really pushed to have all the land that is now Park Slope parceled out into residential areas. And then all the areas down in Gowanus made into tracks for commercial, industrial, manufacturing development. And of course, having water access was very important at that point. Hmm. Well, we're going to take a short break, and when we come back, we're going to continue our conversation with Brad Vogel about the development of Gowanus and its famous canal. We'll be back in a minute. You're listening to the Talking Alternative Network. You're listening to the Talking Alternative Network. Are you stuck in a rut? Negative thoughts, feelings, and conversations got you down? Hi, I'm Noreen Sumter, the Potentiator. Tune in every Tuesday at 9 to 10 p.m. Eastern Time and listen for new ideas on my show, Beyond Potential, Live Life Your Way, on talkradio.nyc. Are you a conscious co-creator? 
Are you on a quest to raise your vibration and your consciousness? I'm Sam Leibowitz, your Conscious Consultant, and on my show, The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, we will touch upon all these topics and more. Listen live at our new time on Thursdays at 12 noon Eastern Time. That's The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, Thursdays, 12 noon on talkradio.nyc. Talking Alternative Radio, 24 hours a day. back to Rediscovering New York. I'm Jeff Goodman, and my first guest on the show about Gowanus is Brad Vogel. I want to ask Brad about some of his affiliations. There are so many of them. The Gowanus Landmarking Coalition, the campaign to landmark Walt Whitman's only remaining home, the Gowanus Dredgers Canoe Club, <laughs> Gowanus <laughs> Superfund Community Advisory Group. Um, Brad, why don't you tell us what the Gowanus Landmarking Coalition is and what work that they do? Sure. So we started the coalition uh, because there's an effort to rezone Gowanus that would change the nature of the neighborhood in a significant way. And several of the people involved in the planning process for that didn't feel that the special character of the neighborhood was really being looked at uh, because we don't want the goose that laid the golden egg to be killed in the process. You know, it's there's something about Gowanus that's different. But if you come in and remove all of the layers and all of the elements that actually make it distinct, uh, why, why Gowanus any longer? So uh, ultimately, we banded together. We had a variety of different citywide, neighborhood, um, local groups. And we pushed to try to get buildings landmarked in Gowanus before the rezoning came about. And we just had a hearing last week at the Landmarks Preservation Commission, and we have five buildings headed toward designation. Um, we, we initially started out with a list of 30 uh, because we think there are plenty more buildings in the neighborhood that deserve protection. Um, but ultimately, this is a good start, and we hope to continue to work with Councilmember Brad Lander and the Landmarks Preservation Commission uh, to try to get some more buildings landmarked before any rezoning comes through. Do you work with uh, the Historic Districts Council as well? We do, uh, yes. So Simeon Bankoff and Kelly Carroll at the Historic Districts Council have been hugely helpful on this whole process. And they've, you know, they've been out there for a long time, uh, well before this coalition emerged, pushing for landmarking. And the same with uh, Friends and Residents of Greater Gowanus, also known as FROG, uh, <laughs> Linda Mariano and... Katia and Marlene and crew have been pushing for a long time as well to get buildings landmarked. If someone wants to find out more about the work of the coalition, how mm -hmm. would they do that? Uh, you can head to our website, which is, I believe, GowanusLandmarks.org. Okay, great. Or just just Google Gowanus Landmarking Coalition and we will pop up. All righty. Well, getting back to uh, the canal. Um, so the canal was built, was finished a, a little bit after the Civil War. Mm -hmm. Um the canal ended up becoming one of the most polluted waterways in the whole country, and it would later become a, a, a super fun site. What caused all this pollution? What caused all this muck, this dirt? Yes, yeah, so it's rather crazy because if you think about it, you may, you may think that, oh, the Gowanus probably filled up with pollution over time, and 50 years after it was created, it was a really polluted place. No, we are talking about the 1880s already, if not earlier, only 20-some years after the canal is actually completed, it's already a vile and heinously polluted place. Um, and it's coming from, really, the Gowanus' pollution problems come from two distinct sources. One is all the industrial pollutants. So this is chemicals. This is coal tar from coal uh, gasification process, which is a carcinogen. Um, I mean, there were creosote factories. There were dye factories. There were chemical companies, just about anything that could pollute in a noxious way in the 19th century. Tanneries, was, too. Tanneries yeah. was located along the Gowanus Canal, and there was no EPA at that point. There was no Clean Water Act. There was no nothing. So basically, all of this was just going straight into the waterway. So that's the industrial side of it. The other side, and this is 
a problem up to the present day is what we today say as combined sewer overflows. Um, back in the day, it would have just been the Gowanus was a gigantic sewer and all of the sewers flowed right into it. Today, even today, when there is a significant rain, the combined sewers overflow and basically what you are flushing from your home down your toilet, down your shower, it runs downhill and goes straight into the Gowanus Canal, untreated. And so part of the cleanup is building two gigantic tanks that will hold all of that CSO runoff until the, uh, the treatment plants have enough capacity to then run through that material. So even to this very day, we are facing, you know, sort of this com completely crazy wash of pollution in the Gowanus on a regular basis. Mm. Wasn't the canal almost closed toward the end of the 19th century? Didn't, what did they think about closing it down and paving over it and doing something yeah, else? Yes, there have been many, many, many attempts or at least thought experiments about totally getting rid of the canal. But for anyone who's been out there in a canoe, as I am often, you start to get a sense of the lay of the land and the tides and just the sheer low nature of the land. It is down in the valley between Park Slope and Carroll Gardens, and it is very low land. It would take a lot of effort to overcome that simple fact. Well, it was wetlands originally, which yes. is why it was all water. Exactly. It was low land. Right. Um, there were some uh, Gowanus-specific phrases, uh, like black mayonnaise and lavender lake. Do you want to talk about those sure. and, and say what they are? So in 1911, you know, they had been having a problem with this canal because it only, it's, a, it's an estuary. We should establish that. It is an arm of the ocean, so tides affect this body of water. Um, but it's a long, narrow, windy canal, and the tides alone are not enough to cleanse out all of the pollutants or the debris or, you know, at various points, dead bodies of different types that accumulate in the canal. And so they built a flushing tunnel that actually pumped, actually it pumped water out of the canal originally in 1911 to the Buttermilk Channel, an arm of the harbor between Governor's Island and Brooklyn. Um, that broke in the 1960s and was broke until 1999, <laughs> so for a really long time. And during that time, there was very little circulation in the canal, and the canal was a rather forlorn place. The neighborhood around it, too, was you know really a den of prostitution, and it was a place that a lot of people you know, did not go unless they happened to live in close proximity. Well, it had a pretty bad reputation had, when I was growing up. In right. fact, I lived in Borum Hill in the late 80s and early 90s, mm -hmm. and I had a car, and I would pass through Gowanus, mm -hmm. uh, but would never stop to do anything. It just like you know, it was an industrial area with right. all this decay around, and you, you, know, you drove through it and kept the doors locked and didn't get out. Right, and so that's the period when the canal took on the moniker the Lavender Lake, um, which is now the name of a bar and restaurant in Gowanus. Uh, but the Lavender Lake was for the coloration of the surface of the canal because the coal tower has this sort of rainbow sheen effect and also the dye factory um i've been told every you know depending on what color dye was being produced you would see that color result in the canal as well so it was this rather otherworldly color that you would see and that's not even talking about the stench that came off of the canal uh, but 1999 they finally got the flushing tunnel working again and this time they reversed the flow so it now takes water from the harbor that is ostensibly cleaner and it comes in at the head of the canal and then runs the full 1.8 miles down to leave the canal. So there's a bit of flow that helps the tides with their job to push water out and also has the added effect of adding oxygen to the water. So, oh, so it goes out through buttermilk channel instead of comes in through buttermilk channel. Now. Uh, well, it, it used to go out to buttermilk <clears throat> channel. It now comes in from okay, buttermilk channel it. under cobble Hill to the head of the canal and then goes down through the canal. Well, Gowanus has certainly seen a revitalization, you know, really a rebirth from the depths of something not very nice to a, a great neighborhood and a, and a, and a really cool place. Um, now you have a lot of interesting other things going on there. Um, you have the, the Gowanus Landmarking Coalition. What's the Gowanus Memorial Art Yard? So that was, you know, this was a whole, a whole other episode in Gowanus's more recent history and sort of the 80s to the early 2000s, 
the area, because of its abandonment, became really attractive for a lot of artistic types and artistic ventures and experiments. And so that was one of those experiments that brought in people from around the city, actually, because of the, the sheer scale of it. Uh, the Bat Cave, which is a former power plant for the old um, BRT, Brooklyn Rapid Transit trolley lines, is right on the banks of the canal. And the Bat Cave, too, became this center for sort of an alternative take on art and living. Is the Bat Cave different from the art yard? Or? It is different, yes. Okay, okay. Yep. So, um, but yeah, there were, you know, there were even houseboats in the canal. One was called Jerko, and uh, you had artists who were living in the canal, basically. Hmm. Yeah. There are some interesting bridges uh, over the canal, uh, including one, one of the only retractable bridges in the United States. It goes right. over, it, over the canal at, at Carroll Street. Right. It's really a pretty remarkable collection of bridges that span the canal. Uh, they come from all different eras, all different types. Uh, but the one you're talking about, the Carroll Street Bridge, is actually an existing designated landmark. It was landmarked in 1987. Uh, one of the few landmarks that currently exists in Gowanus, and hopefully we'll have some more very, very soon. Uh, but yeah, it's a retractile bridge, and it is odd. There are very, very few retractile bridges anywhere. Um, it's also known as the Boston Draw type of bridge because it was apparently popular there but it doesn't it doesn't do what you would think a bridge would typically do instead it gets pulled back on rails at a diagonal from its spot along the canal into a pocket and so you can see these small trolleys under under the bridge span itself that pull this bridge back at a weird diagonal angle um, it's one of the more unique things that you encounter along the canal and it's fun to watch it open it also has a horn that opens or that, that sounds every time it opens or closes um, and the bridge itself is from 1889 so this is before <laughs> this is when it was still the city of brooklyn uh, before all the boroughs actually consolidated oh, into right, new yeah. york city in 1898 so this is a really old iron bridge and it's kind of a wonder that it still exists and yeah it's a it's a fun quirky embodiment of Gowanus for sure and still maintained by the Department of Transportation of the city that's right um tell us more about the canoe club how yeah do you, you think of canoeing on the Gowanus how could you know who would do it <laughs> you, know? <laughs> yes. you know stupid question if you ever capsize you know do you need to decontaminate from the water or yeah what? no it would definitely be advisable if you capsize to go home and take a shower and then take another shower and then probably take a shower after that and put some antibacterial soap on. But uh, I, I actually moved to the neighborhood in large part because I wanted to find a place where I could go canoeing and still engage fully with the city. And Gowanus is one of those places. Um, but the canoe club has been active now for 20 years. This is our 20 year anniversary, if you can believe it, because the club was founded in 1999 when the Flushing Tunnel reopened and folks sat down and asked, what more can we do to advance the cause of a full cleanup? And so we put what we wanted to have happen right in their name, Gowanus Dredgers Canoe Club. We wanted the canal dredged of the black mayonnaise, which, as you mentioned earlier, is this thick, you know, many feet thick layer of old industrial pollutants um, and a lot of coal tar. Um, and that's that's some really noxious stuff. And that's ultimately what's going to get taken out of the canal as the cleanup unfolds with the EPA. Tell us about the Gowanus Open Studios. What is it and when is it? Yeah, no, so this is, I love Gowanus Open Studios because it's as if you thought you knew the neighborhood and then suddenly when you experience Gowanus Open Studios, you realize you didn't. <laughs> it's this other layer that comes alive all of a sudden when you're invited into the actual studios of artists all over the neighborhood and their you know studios crop up in all these unique little nooks and crannies here and there and there are over 400 artists that will be exhibiting this year it's put on by arts Gowanus. yes That's... no it's remarkable wow <laughs> uh so yeah and the range of art too is really pretty incredible but that's october 19th and 20th and um, this is actually the first year I'll be exhibiting. I do, you know, one of my weird side hobbies is I make art drawings on eggshells. So pieces of ostrich egg, emu egg, um, 
it's a random, random hobby, but it's something that I really enjoy and it'll be fun to share in uh, the very interesting and unique Gowanus artistic environment. And where is your studio, Brad? Where uh, my home. Okay. Is that going to be part of Open <laughs> Yes, studio? it will be. If someone wanted to find out about the artists and, and Open mm-hmm. Studios, where can they go to do that? Definitely go to Arts Gowanus. I would, again, just Google Arts Gowanus and you will get to their homepage and they have a map with all the artists and a listing of all the artists as well as a few samples of their work. Wow. Well, Brad, sorry we're uh, out of time just about this. Uh, so much more we could talk about. Um, my first guest on this program about Gowanus has been Gowanusian Brad Vogel. Uh, we've talked about the, the putrid past of Gowanus, but its recent uh, cleaning up and rebirth into a really fun and cool New York neighborhood. I've actually hung out there myself. I highly recommend it, and it, re- it is very special. Um, we're going to take a short break, and when we come back, we're going to talk with a restaurant owner who started his business in Gowanus and loves where he does business. We'll be right back. You're listening to the Talking Alternative Network. love or are you intrigued about New York City and its neighborhoods? I'm Jeff Goodman, host of Rediscovering New York, a weekly show that showcases New York's history and its extraordinary neighborhoods. Every Tuesday live at 7 p.m., we focus on a particular neighborhood and explore its history, its vibe, its feel, and its energy. Tune in live every Tuesday at 7 p.m. on talkradio.nyc. You're listening to the Talking Alternative Network. Are you stuck in a rut? Negative thoughts, feelings, and conversations got you down? Hi, I'm Noreen Sumter, The Potentiator. Tune in every Tuesday at 9 to 10 p.m. Eastern Time and listen for new ideas on my show, Beyond Potential, Live Life Your Way, on talkradio.nyc. Talking Alternative Radio, 24 hours a day. Support for Rediscovering New York comes from our sponsors, the Mark Myman team, mortgage strategist at Freedom Mortgage. For assistance in any kind of residential mortgage, Mark and his team can be reached at 646-330-4735. And support also comes from the law offices of Tom Siaka, specializing in wills, estate planning, probate, and inheritance litigation. Tom and his staff can be reached at 212-495-0317. Our show is about New York, especially its neighborhoods and the myriad textures of this amazing city that we live in. As I said earlier on the show, I work in real estate and love New York. There's another great show about New York, this one about the business of real estate in the city. It's called Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco, my friend and colleague at Halstead. Vince's show airs live on Tuesday mornings at 9 a.m. and can be heard at voiceamerica.com and, of course, on podcast. You can like us on Facebook, uh, Rediscovering New York with Jeff Goodman. I know it's original, but that's what the name is. And also follow me on Instagram and Twitter. Uh, the handle is Jeff Goodman NYC. If you have comments or questions, or if you'd like to get on our show's mailing list, please email me, Jeff at rediscoveringnewyork.nyc. And one of the note before we get to our second guest, even though this is not a show about the real estate business in New York, I am indeed a real estate agent in our amazing city. I help my clients buy, sell, lease, and rent property. If you or someone you care about is considering a move into, out, or within New York, I would love to help you all with your real estate needs. You can reach me and my team at 646-306-4761. Our second guest is restaurateur Aaron Lefkov. Aaron is a co-founder and managing partner of the multi-unit Little Neck Restaurant Group, which is based in Brooklyn. With those restaurants comes a decade of valuable experience in branding and crafting a narrative, community outreach strategies, integration into emerging neighborhoods, one of which, of course, is Gowanus, as well as non-traditional funding methods. Little Neck was one of the first restaurants to open on a crowdfunding model. The restaurant was named one of the coolest places to work by Time Out New York, no small feat in the city that we live in, 
and has garnered favorable press from the Times, it's the New York Times, the Village Voice, and the New Yorker, as well as earning a spot on the Eater 38. Lefkov was named one of Brooklyn's magazine's 50 Most Influential People in Brooklyn Food, another great designation. Aaron, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Jeff. Are you originally from New York? I am not from New York. I grew up in Atlanta. I left, uh, I was out of the house about as soon as I could get out, and I moved here in the late 90s. What brought you to New York? Rockin' and rollin', for the most part. Oh, good. And, That's uh, <laughs> a great reason to come up here. Uh, yeah, it's time for a change. I've been, I've been here about 20 years now. What had you decide to go into your own business? Lack of other options in life. I, I was working. I was working in a record store. I was playing in a band, working in a record store. Uh, I have a business partner. We were having a barbecue in his girlfriend's backyard, and we were grilling clams. And we were talking. We were talking about a restaurant, which is eventually the first restaurant we opened, which is Little Neck. And we said, "Oh, it'd be really cool if there was a place like this." And I wasn't really doing much, uh, much with my life, and. Neither was he, and we said, "All right, let's try and do that." And we, uh, and eventually, oh, we should do this. Turned into, oh, I guess we're doing this. Well, Little Neck was named one of the coolest places to work by Time Out Magazine. Uh, were you surprised when your business's work environment was recognized? By, well, I, by I wasn't surprised. I guess it, it was so early on in the restaurant. It was within the first six or eight months we were open. I was surprised that we would get something like that so early on. But uh, I'm not surprised. I'm not surprised based on the type of culture that we try and nourish within the restaurant. You know, my partner and I are both. We come from a creative background. We met as musicians, and we've been, you know, long before we were in the restaurant business. We were very active in, you know, artistic and creative and music circles in the city. So we 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 bring that sensibility to our businesses, and I think we attract like-minded people. So I'm not I, I'm not surprised. I'm flattered, but you know we 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 wouldn't run a business any other way. Well, you know another major accomplishment that you have is to be recognized as one of the most influential people in Brooklyn food. Uh, I want to remind our listeners that Brooklyn is the biggest borough in the city population-wise. There are uh, a lot more people who live in Brooklyn than Manhattan, so that's that's a really big prize that you nab. What are the criteria that you think Brooklyn Magazine use when they when they come up with this designation? You know, that's still a mystery to me. I only found out about that. I was sitting in my car in front of a taxidermist in Tannersville, New York, and an erstwhile business partner texted me a link, and that was the first I had heard of this Brooklyn Magazine designation. But, you know, I looked at the list, and it's a, it's a lot of our contemporaries and our colleagues, and there's a lot of, you know, a lot of the restaurants that that were on there. This is going back several years now, but a lot of the people that were on there, I was flattered to be in such company because these are places that I, that I consider way, way more advanced and established. And I have the utmost respect for a lot of the people that were on that list. Everybody that was on that list. I don't know what their criteria was besides us being a restaurant in Brooklyn, but you know, it's an honor just to be considered. Well, I can I can say with alacrity that uh, the food is delicious. I've eaten there <laughs> I've been there a number of times, and they also have a great bar too, a great selection. Um, you have three restaurants with the name Little Neck. How did you come up with the name Little Neck? I was uh, like I said, Little I Neck Clams, Little Neck uh, Queens, uh, a little bit of all of that. But you know, I have like I told you, I we were having a barbecue. We had this idea. We spent several months looking, looking with you know to no avail, looking for looking for spaces where we could open this. And my partner and I were both kind of flustered and we went into a bar and we had a drink and a drink led to several drinks, led to several shots. And we were about to do a shot and the name, the name hit me in the head. It came to me and I grabbed, I grabbed this guy by his shirt and I said, little neck, the name is little neck. (laughs) And fortunately we remembered it the next day. And after that, after that, you know, things kind of just started happening. Things fell into place once we had the name, once we had the vibe. So there was never any other name considered. It was, and it came to us doing a shot in a bar. Kind of makes you, kind of makes you think what other ideas I've had doing a shot in a bar that I should have followed up on. Well, that's a that's a great story. The genesis of your restaurant business was in that bar and 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 drinking shots. Um, why did you open your business in Gowanus? Was it was it something that had appealed to you about the urban landscape of it? Did you? You know, what? at the time we 
we like I said, we were looking in all kinds of neighborhoods. We were looking in neighborhoods where there was a lot of restaurants. We looked at places on Vanderbilt. We were looking on Fulton Street when Fulton Street was was you know there were not nearly they we didn't have the turnover that it's had in the last decade or so. We were looking on Smith Street. We were looking on Bedford Avenue. We looked at all these places, and. I would say for two people with minimal experience and even more minimal funding, we were able to do what we wanted to do and actually get it done in Gowanus. There was, there was a creative community bubbling up around there, which we recognized. Uh, but there, you know, the, the rents were still cheap, you know, even by New York, even not by New York standards, just by standards, but just by real estate in general, the, the rent was pretty cheap and we were able to, all right, we can sign this lease and we don't need to have a million dollars in the bank. And we, and we opened our first restaurant on a shoestring. We've opened all of our restaurants on a shoestring, but we, we were able to get, to, to get it done in that neighborhood at that time. The neighborhood has since grown up around us and it's, you know, it boggles my mind. Some of the things that I, you know, that I've seen happen in that neighborhood and some of the growth and how quickly it's happened. When did you open Little Nick in, on Third Avenue? October twenty sixth, two thousand eleven. Exactly. So we're coming up on we're coming up on eight years. Describe the vibe of Gowanus, Aaron. What is it that you like about about the neighborhood? I like that it's a neighborhood. I like that I see a lot of the same people in the restaurant. You know, week in, week out. I've been seeing the, some of the same faces for eight years now. I've seen people meet, get married, have kids. I've seen the kids now go to kindergarten, go to second grade. So I like that. I like the neighborhood aspect of it. I think that the neighborhood at the time we opened the people living in that neighborhood got what we were doing. They didn't need, nobody needed it explained to them. It just clicked with the people in that neighborhood and in the surrounding areas, people just understood it and people were very supportive right off the bat. And I like, yeah, I like being in a place I wouldn't want to do business in a place that doesn't want me doing business there. And I feel like in that, in Gowanus, as well as in Greenpoint, as well as in East Williamsburg, I feel like the neighborhoods want us there. And I feel like we're giving something we're, we're, we're filling a need. Well, you certainly do with the environment. And the first time I went to little neck, it was on a Saturday afternoon and I got that real, I got that feeling from, from the restaurant. Uh, in fact, I ran into two people. It was a couple with, I think, a, a five or six year old. <laughs> they began to. I happened to mention that I was going to be hosting a walking tour, and they, you know, they uh, uh, sang the praises of of the environment at Little Neck. When did you open uh, the restaurant in Greenpoint? By the way, Greenpoint opened about two years, a little, a little less than two years after we opened the first Little Neck. So. Geez, that one's been open like six years at this point. Uh, that's more of a cafe and a sandwich shop. It's definitely channeling a lot of the same. It's definitely channeling a lot of the same. A lot of the same vibes, but you know, totally separate menu. Big coffee business, big breakfast and lunch business. And again, you know, that's filling a gap that was that that there what that needed to be met in that neighborhood. And I'm seeing a lot of the same faces in there. So every neighborhood that we do business in. I like to have I like to have that community vibe. I'm very fortunate that I have that community vibe in so many communities at this point. Where in Greenpoint is the is uh, Little Neck Outpost is at Franklin and Milton Street. Okay, and your address on Third Avenue in two eighty eight. Two eighty eight. It's right by it's between Carroll and President, isn't it? Yep, right okay. by the corner of Carroll. Okay. Well, we're going to take a short break, and when we come back, we're going to continue our conversation with Aaron Lefkoe of Little Neck Restaurant in Gowanus. We'll be right back. You are listening to the Talking Alternative Network. I'm the aptly named host of Tony Martinetti Nonprofit Radio. Big nonprofit ideas for the other 95%. Fundraising, board relations, social media. My guests and I cover everything that small and mid-sized shops struggle with. If you have big dreams and a small budget, you have a home at Tony Martinetti Nonprofit Radio. Fridays, 1 to 2 Eastern at TalkingAlternative.com. Are you a conscious co-creator? 
Are you on a quest to raise your vibration and your consciousness? I'm Sam Leibowitz, your Conscious Consultant, and on my show, The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, we will touch upon all these topics and more. Listen live at our new time on Thursdays at 12 noon Eastern Time. That's The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, Thursdays, 12 noon on talkradio.nyc. TalkingAlternative.com back to Rediscovering New York with Jeff Goodman. That's me. My guest on the second part of the show is Aaron Lefkov of Little Nick Restaurant. Uh, special welcome to the studio that I have a cousin of mine from Rome. That's Roma Italia, not Rome, New York. Maurizio. He's here for a big family wedding this weekend, and he's brought his old friend Ricardo with him. Who This is Ricardo's first trip to New York. So we're, uh, uh, well, Mao is rolling out the red carpet for Ricardo, but uh, all of us New Yorkers are making sure Ricardo gets a good taste of what New York is. Uh, we got to take him down to Gowanus, actually. I'll <laughs> put that on the itinerary. Um, what excites you about Gowanus, Aaron? What excites me about it? Yes. Is there anything that excites you about it? I like, I'm, I, I'm very excited by the neighborhood. Like, you know, like I said, I, li- I like the community in the neighborhood. I, you know, I love coming into work. I love the people. I love the people that I work with in the restaurant. I love the people that eat there. For you, what makes as a neighborhood? What would you say makes Gowanus unique? Ooh, well, uh, who'd ever thought such a vibrant community would spring up on the banks of the most polluted waterway in the country, <laughs> and maybe the world? Who'd <laughs> Do you see yourself opening up another business in, in the neighborhood? Not right now, but if, if I were to, you know, like I said, if I were to see a need for something that was going unmet, yeah, I would be open to it. You know, that I, I, I like doing business in that neighborhood. I like what we bring and I like what the people in that neighborhood bring to me. So, yeah, I would, I would definitely be open to it. But as of now, there's just nothing on my radar. Hmm. Is there any particular advice that you would have as a, as a business owner in Gowanus to another someone who was thinking about setting up a business? Be cool to everybody in the neighborhood. Don't uh, you know? I, I would I would give this this is general advice that I would give to anybody, but uh, be respectful of what's there and who's there and whose home this whose home it is. You know the people that are the people that have been in the neighborhood a week, the people that have been there for generations. Be very respectful of that. Don't try and don't try and steamroll and bulldoze over with your own vision. Try and try and add something that that neat that you know is woven into the fabric and the tapestry of the neighborhood. Now, I w- will also say this about Gowanus: it just was not an industrial zone. Uh, you know, a block on either side of the canal. Uh, there have been communities living there for a hundred something years, you know, working class communities. Uh, uh, actually, Al Capone also lived <laughs> there mm-hmm. before he moved on, to Chicago. On Carroll Street, or on President Street, I yeah. believe. On the south side of the canal, yeah. yeah. Um, My landlord claims to own the building he was born in, but I find that uh, claim to be um, dubious and suspect. Well, my husband told me that uh, his grandmother was friends with Al Capone's wife. Before he took her to Chicago in the in, in the twenties, hmm. not so a very that, nice guy. So that guy makes for us me. then cool. Uh, maybe. <laughs> well, I have other uh, uh, history on a, a particular side of the family about about those uh, connections, but I'm not going to get into that now. It's another show. I'd like yeah, to be invited so. back it for does. that one. <laughs> well, I had uh, a guest of uh, the East Village who has a museum, which uh, I won't mention the museum, but uh, yes. Uh, uh, anyway. Um, how you've opened little, you opened little neck in 2011, you said? Yes. Yes. How have you seen the name, the, the neighborhood already changed or had, has been going through change. How has it changed in the eight years that, 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 that you've owned your business? When now? we signed the lease, it was just us and the social club on that block. And, and it was pretty desolate over there. We, 
we we looked around as we were building. You know, my partner and I build our restaurants ourselves. So we were in there doing the work, and we we're like, you know, we're either visionary about this, or we're completely nuts. It turned out, you know, it turned out to be a combination of the two. Uh, but you know, I've seen just you, you've seen so much development over there. Some of it for better, some of it maybe it's debatable. But you know, there's definitely a lot. You know, there's a Michelin starred restaurant two doors down from me. Who would have ever seen that coming? You know, Guan- right on Third Avenue. Yeah. Guanas has also become a neighborhood that's there's a lot of like activity type places. There's the shuffleboard place, and there's the archery place, and there's the you know, there's a, there's a bunch of places like that which uh i guess the nature of the buildings around there that were warehouse spaces lend themselves well to these places that you know there's few places in the city there's few neighborhoods in the city where you can set up shop like that and have the type of space that you need for archery or for shuffleboard courts uh you know new york is new york is so calculated vertically and every every little inch counts so I think it's unique in that way. And I think that there's other, there's other entrepreneurs out there that recognize that. And I believe that's probably why they brought those type of businesses to that neighborhood. Hmm. Well, also something we didn't talk about in the first segment is one of the earliest uh, base places where uh, New Yorkers could watch baseball being played was in Gowanus. In fact, there's the remnants, I think, there's, even there's bordering 3rd Avenue. There's one wall Avenue? left on 3rd yes, Avenue. Left. And I think it fences in a, uh, a Verizon or Con Ed workers parking lot. Is there anything about Gowanus, Aaron, that that surprises you as you as you continue to do business there and, and get to know people who live there and people who move into the neighborhood? I'm surprised that it's actually remained such like a chill neighborhood, despite the development that's been going on around there, despite the despite the condos that sprung up on the banks, which who would have ever seen that coming? I'm surprised that it's remained such a, like a homey neighborhood that the creative community, the, you know, the art, the art studio that that hasn't been run out of town, which who knows what will happen with the rezoning. But, you know, I'm, I'm surprised that a decade, a decade or so later, that's, that still is able to exist there. And that other people with, you know, with a creative vision and maybe a shoestring budget are still able to get, you know, to get things going. Hmm. Is there anything, as a business owner and someone who obviously has a relationship with the neighborhood that's not just about coming and ringing the cash register and leaving at the end of the day, is there anything that you struggle with at all in Gowanus as a neighborhood? We struggled for a long time. The entire neighborhood was torn up with construction. And the construction was basically putting in a larger infrastructure for the condos that the condo buildings, which needed this infrastructure. But I, you know, a lot of it was done. A lot of it was done to the detriment of the local business of this local small business owners. And that was a, that was a big point of contention. And there was a, there were a lot of times where I just thought we weren't going to make it. We weren't going to, we were just going to have to fold up shop and it's not just me. It's the you know it's the guys that run in stone across the street. It's it's all the local business owners felt the same way. The streets were completely torn up. It looked like a war zone for years, and we somehow pulled through. It wasn't easy and it wasn't pretty, but we somehow were able to make it through all of that. I don't know that the development. I don't know that the people in those buildings are necessarily even patronizing me. It doesn't seem that way. So, but you know obviously money talks in a neighborhood and big developers are going to get what they want. But there were plenty of times where the city would just say, all right, we're cutting your water off on Saturday morning because this work needs to happen. And Saturday is when restaurant workers, that's, that makes their week. So, you know, when I, when I had to go and tell my staff, Hey, we're not working Saturday morning. Nobody show up for brunch. You know, yeah, for the developers, that's great. And they're going to get they're going to get the infrastructure that they need. But for the people that work and that live check to check and hand to mouth, and they're also constituents, they're also voters, they're also residents of that neighborhood. You know, they have to they have to go home and tell their family that, hey, sorry, you know, work was canceled today. Did that happen a lot? Like cut off? It happened frequently. Yes. For a couple of years, I would say from 2014 to just you know, just within the last year it happened it happened sporadically and it was never like a okay we're going to shut it down over on a monday 
it, it was always, you know, it would be, they would do it on a weekend. I didn't understand it. Mm. And the water thing was big because you can't have a restaurant without water. And that was big for, that was big for everybody on the block and in the neighborhood that was trying to do business. It's not easy in New York. In New York City, it's not easy to be in, in the restaurant business. It's pretty savage. It's pretty cutthroat. So when you have, when you have bigger business running interference on you, it's just, it's just one more major stumbling block. In the short time we have left, I want to ask you how you see the future of Gowanus as a neighborhood. I hope that it, I hope that it can be a, an anomaly where, where the creative community can co-mingle with the... With, you know, with whatever development is coming and that they can live harmoniously and not the, not the classic story that you hear that, uh, all right, now the artists are getting run, run out. Now it's, now it's the, now it's the condos and, and, and everything is going to just be, uh, everything is just going to be homogenized. I hope that, I hope that that creative spirit can still live on. Mm. All right. Well, Aaron, thank you. Our second guest on our show about Gowanus has been Aaron Lefkov of Little Neck Restaurant. I wholeheartedly endorse it. I've been there. I've eaten there. I like the environment. I love the food and the whiskey that you have on the bar is really great as well. Oh, it likes you too. <laughs> uh, if you have comments or questions about the show or if you'd like to get on our mailing list, please email me, jeff at rediscoveringnewyork.nyc. You can like us on Facebook, Rediscovering New York with Jeff Goodman, and you can follow me on Instagram and Twitter at jeffgoodmannyc. Once again, I'd like to thank our sponsors, the Mark Myman team, mortgage strategist at Freedom Mortgage, and the law offices of Tom Siaka, specializing in wills, estate planning, probate, and inheritance litigation. One more thing before we sign off, I am Jeff Goodman, a real estate agent at Halstead, and whether you're selling, buying, leasing, or renting, my team and I are dedicated to our clients and come to our work with passion and the best expertise in New York City real estate. You can reach us at 646-306-4761. Our producer is Ralph Storier. Our engineer is Sam Leibowitz. Our special consultant is David Griffin of Landmark Branding. Stay tuned at 8 p.m. right here on Talk Radio NYC to Beyond Potential, Live Life Your Way with my friend Noreen Sumter. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. You're listening to the Talking Alternative Network. You're listening to the Talking Alternative Network. Are you stuck in a rut? Negative thoughts, feelings, and conversations got you down? Hi, I'm Noreen Sumter, the Potentiator. Tune in every Tuesday at 9 to 10 p.m. Eastern Time and listen for new ideas on my show, Beyond Potential, Live Life Your Way, on talkradio.nyc. I'm the aptly named host of Tony Martinetti Nonprofit Radio, big nonprofit ideas for the other 95%. Fundraising, board relations, social media, my guests and I cover everything that small and mid-sized shops struggle with. If you have big dreams and a small budget, you have a home at Tony Martinetti Nonprofit Radio. Fridays, 1 to 2 Eastern at TalkingAlternative.com. Hey, all you crazy listeners. Looking to boost your business? Why not advertise on Talking Alternative with very reasonable rates? Interested? Simply email at info at TalkingAlternative.com. Are you a conscious co-creator? Are you on a quest to raise your vibration and your consciousness? I'm Sam Leibowitz, your Conscious Consultant, and on my show, The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, we will touch upon all these topics and more. Listen live at our new time on Thursdays at 12 noon Eastern Time. That's The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, Thursdays, 12 noon on talkradio.nyc. You're listening to the Talking Alternative Network at www.talkingalternative.com. Now, broadcasting 24 hours a day. Talking Alternative. Do you love 
or are you intrigued about New York City and its neighborhoods? I'm Jeff Goodman, host of Rediscovering New York, a weekly show that showcases New York's history and its extraordinary neighborhoods. Every Tuesday live at 7 p.m., we focus on a particular neighborhood and explore its history, its vibe, its feel, and its energy. Tune in live every Tuesday at 7 p.m. on talkradio.nyc. You're listening to the Talking Alternative Network.